Shalom mishpacha. Shalom family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. <laughs> We're the mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down. Now, I have a guest that is going to just blow your paradigm for end times out of the water. And you know what? I believe it has to be. Why? Because we here in the West have, have got a scenario for end times. Uh, and it, it says in the Bible that in the last days, uh, the love of most will grow cold because of what they see coming. And here's what I believe that means. I believe that since we have this perfect, airtight, left-behind scenario— that if things don't work out exactly the way the book goes, then we, many, are going to lose their faith in the last days because the whole scenario for end times is not understood from an Eastern perspective. I believe God raised up Walid Shabbat so that he can clarify simply from the Bible the events of the last days. And Walid, many of the conclusions you come up with are opposite of what most Christians believe. Why is that? Well, most Christians in the West tend to read the book of Revelation when they study end times. My question has always been, why do we start at the end of the book? What about Genesis? Genesis has tremendous amount of prophecy. What about the prophets themselves? What about the literal references in the Bible? Do, does the allegory supersede the literal references? So people somehow compose their ideas based on reading allegory, then ignore much of the literal references in the Bible. Now, if I can summarize, there is two issues that I always ask every Western theologian in this country, which they cannot answer if they adhere to a Western lens. Question number one. Out of all the references in the Bible in which God destroys nations, and the nations are mentioned by name, can you find any reference anywhere in the Bible regarding a nation that God destroys that is not Islamic? Question number two. Out of all the references where the Messiah fights and the nations that he fights are mentioned by name, can anyone reference to me a single reference in the Bible where the Messiah fights a nation that is not Muslim today? In Isaiah 10, he fights Lebanon. In Habakkuk 3, he fights Midian, Arabia. If this is the case, how in the world did we come up with a scenario of uh, the European uh, conglomeration of uh, nations in the last well, the, days? The trouble began in the 70s when Greece joined as a 10th nation in the European Confederacy, that Hal Lindsey and people like Tim LaHaye began to say, well, you know, we have the full composite. Yet they ignored the aged wine that talked about end times from the older theologians, people like, you know, uh, uh, Sir Robert Anderson, Martin Luther. In fact, so many, even in the older days, Paul Alvarez, Selenker, uh, Negrinius, uh, Bullinger, 
Fox, the Book of Martyrs, Napier, you know, John Cotton, Thomas Parker, Increase Mather. So many of the older theologians have always taught that Islam is the composite of the beast system of the end times. So it's not that the Westerners didn't get it. It's that only recently from the 70s, the mistake happened when the European Union began to form. And now we have how many nations? We have over 20-some nations in the European Union. This defies the ten toes, the ten horns in the Bible. So it doesn't fit. Well, there's a lot of things that don't fit when you look through uh, Eastern eyes, as unfortunately most of the modern theologians don't. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I, I think it's an amazing thing, your ancestry. Uh, your, your grandfather was associated with the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, th- this man was an ally of Hitler. And a lot of people don't know the, the Muslim connection with Hitler. Absolutely. In fact, it is crucial that people begin to understand that Islam wanted to destroy the Jews as well, not just Nazism. Eight divisions of the Nazi war machine, two of them were Islamic fundamentalists, the Bosnian division, the Albanian division. You know, I never knew that. Yeah, it's a fact. I can show you photos of Muslim Nazis praying towards Mecca under Hitler. Uh, The idea of killing the Jews came from what? Came from Hajj Amin al-Husseini who suggested that we use the same thing as the Armenians. The Armenian genocide very much mimicked the genocide of the Hebrews, filling Jews in carts, in train carts, how much you can fill in a cart. All that came from the genocide of the Armenians by the Turks. Uh, Well, you know what I find so fascinating? Uh, Here on on one side, your grandfather is is a friend of the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Hitler's ally, uh, and, and then... You also told me that on both sides of your family, there's Jewish ancestry, and you went a a bit further. Most of the Palestinians, you tell me, have Jewish ancestry. Why do you say that? Well, because I researched the archives of my family heritage. The Shu'ibat clan comes from Al-Harif bin Ka'b, a Jew who converted to Islam. Before him, it comes, you know, Al-Harif bin Ka'b comes from uh, Shemuel bin Adaya. And no Muslim has the name Shemuel. In fact, if you look at Wikipedia, Shemuel bin Adaya was a Jew who converted to Islam in Yemen. So, but you tell me, even the, the, the best science and DNA is supporting the fact that uh, all the Palestinians outside of those born in Egypt were originally Jews. That's pretty crazy. Or maybe 90% of them were originally Jews. Absolutely, yes. In fact, in all Palestinian homes, you will find the Star of David in front of every home. <laughs> the Star of David. You will find Palestinians who still observe many things Jewish. Eating the lamb standing up comes from Exodus. When I read Exodus, as a Muslim, I was shocked. Oh, well, then let's go back a, a bit further. Uh, you came to the United States, you were educated, uh, you got involved in radical Islam, but you married a Catholic wife, and you wanted her to convert to Islam. And unfortunately, uh, you started studying the Bible in comparing it to the Quran, and it turned out the opposite. You began to believe in the Bible. Uh, 
when when you began to believe in the Bible, this must have been very tough for you, uh, seeing the difference between the Bible and the Quran. Uh, just the family, the emotional ties. How could you make such a change? Well, I had two choices. Either I recognize the truth and suffer during my life, or keep with the lie and end up eternally suffering. There's only two choices. God gives us two choices. When I read Genesis, and God said regarding the devil, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Satan hates the woman because the woman brought forth the Messiah, her seed. It's amazing. In Islam, the woman is mistreated. Why? In every ism in the world, the woman is mistreated. Why? Because Lucifer hates the woman. So right from the beginning, I began to see that I was on the wrong path, that I have to be nice to my wife, that I have to be nice and kind to my Christian mother. By the time I reached the New Testament in 1 John 2.22, what did it say? It says, who is the liar? It is but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. And the major tenet of Islam uh, is they say God has no son. Absolutely. In the Quran, it's very clear. But, but you know what? <laughs> Looking at your list, there are so many things I never knew in going over your teaching. Uh, for instance, uh, when most Christians think Allah is synonymous with the God of the Bible— but uh, you, you, there, there's something you were talking about, the, the sign of Islam, the crescent moon. Tell me about that. Well, the Bible tells us that Lucifer embodies the Antichrist. The Hebrew rendering for the word Lucifer in the Bible in Isaiah 14 is Hilal bin Sahar. We have to look at the Hebrew always. This actually means, literally, crescent moon, star crescent. Isaiah 14 is speaking of Lucifer, who takes the body of a man. Is this the man that made the earth tremble? That is the Antichrist, and he's described as the crescent moon. Okay, so what you're saying is biblically, from the Hebrew, crescent moon and Lucifer are synonymous, but then that begs the question, Allah. Is Allah synonymous with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Absolutely not. Allah has 99 names in the Quran, and the names of Allah in the Quran, many of them basically mean the same thing as what God attributed to Lucifer. Some of the names of... In the Quran, you're saying? Absolutely. Give me one example. I'll give you many examples. Al-Mutakabbir. Al-Mutakabbir is an Arabic word, which means the most proud one. When I read the Bible, the most proud one is Lucifer. Al-Mumit, the one who causes death. Al-Dar, Arabic word, which means the afflictor, the one who causes affliction. Would you briefly uh, tell us what the strategy is of the Muslim Brotherhood and, 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 the, and the radical groups? Well, if you look at the Muslim Brotherhood's logo in the Arabic language, is very different than the English language. They play the game of good cop versus bad cop. The Muslim Brotherhood, in this case, plays the good cop. They don't uh, practice terrorism. They simply give birth to terrorism. Ayman Zawahiri 
he is the right hand of Osama bin Laden. He was Muslim Brotherhood, yet they founded Al-Qaeda. In fact, most Americans don't realize that Al-Qaeda wasn't really founded by Osama bin Laden. Al-Qaeda was founded by Abdullah Azzam, a Palestinian from Jenin. These are the facts of history. His colleague, uh, Jamal Saeed, was my mentor in Chicago in the United States of America. All right, what is the goal? Now, now the, so the good cop, bad cop. The, the Muslim Brotherhood, which I might add, uh, all of these so-called democracies that are forming in the Middle East right now because of the revolutions that they've had, it seems as though the Muslim Brotherhood is controlling them. Uh, what is the goal of the Muslim Brotherhood? Twofold. One fold is to convert and change all the secular governments in the Middle East to be Islamic. Secularism is the enemy of Islam. The other fold, the other prong to the Muslim Brotherhood, is to make all the West become Sharia compliant, to make them adapt to the Sharia law, to change the laws in the United States of America, to become Sharia compliant. Take, for example, Faisal Abdul Rauf. He is the mastermind behind the Ground Zero Mosque. He says, in fact, he coined the term, America must be Sharia compliant. Change the Constitution to make it compliant with Islamic Sharia. I find it interesting. One of the signs of the Antichrist is he's going to change our laws. Do you think that's what it's talking about? Absolutely correct. The goal of the Antichrist is what? To change set times and set laws. Just what the text says. That doesn't mean like some modern interpreters to change the cosmos. No one can change the cosmos but God. To change the times, the celebrations, the festivities, and introducing their festivities. Today in America, we celebrate Eid. Eid is an Islamic festivity. To change the laws, to change the constitutions. This is why all Muslims say the Quran is our constitution. What does that mean? That means the American constitution is rejected. In fact, the American constitution is rejected by most Muslims living in the West. Okay, but because the Muslim Brotherhood is more peace-loving than the radicals, uh, our administration is embracing them in these other countries. Uh, tell me a bit about the... Uh, the Muslim Messiah. Uh, we hear a lot of talk from the head of Iran about this Mahdi. Tell me about him. Well, the Mahdi is the savior of the Muslim world. Islam is not void from Messianism. The Mahdi brings seven years of peace, according to Islam, according to the Hadith, which is what Muhammad said. That the Mahdi will bring seven years of peace. He'll make a covenant with Israel, in fact. So all the biblical terminologies about the Antichrist matches the Mahdi perfectly. The Mahdi will start a battle against Israel. In fact, the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, said that when the battle begins, and it will be initiated by Turkey and Iran, and every Muslim is required to join this battle, even if they have to crawl on snow. So, in effect, as I listen to your teaching. The description of the Muslim Messiah is the exact description of the Christian Antichrist. 
Absolutely. When you read in Ezekiel 38 about Gog and Magog, you know, he leads a battle with Persia, Iran. He comes from the north, that is Turkey, and he culminates a war against Israel. This is also in Islam, that everybody must join this battle and must basically destroy all the Jews until the stones and the trees cry out, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come, O Muslim, come, O servant of Allah, come and kill him. Oh, okay. That's the Jews. And frankly, if someone's not Jewish, most people aren't that concerned about it. But what about, what is the Muslim view on Christians? Well, the Mahdi, when he comes, he breaks the cross and he kills a sow, a pig, just what Antiochus Epiphanes did. So in Islam, he destroys Christianity, period. Christianity is the essence uh, that is the enemy of Islam. Why? Because the, the Christian doctrine teaches that we believe in God having a son and that Jesus died on the cross. These elements are very much considered blasphemy in Islam. So the most holiest things in Christianity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triunity of God, the Trinity, are the most blasphemous things in Islam. And the most blasphemous things in the Bible are the holiest things in Islam. What Now, you were actually working uh, in the, the forerunner organizations of, of all these things we hear in the news. Uh, what is their goal in the United States, these radical groups? Well, the goal is what the Muslim Brotherhood stated emphatically. They said that, uh, the, that America must be destroyed from within. It is the creation of a sort of a uh, ruse, uh, a Trojan horse, if you will, to, allow, to be allowed entry into the government. You look at many of the advisors of Obama are Muslim. Take Rashad Hussein, who wrote the speech in Egypt. He's a Muslim that is, is very sympathetic with the Muslim Brotherhood. And they're working in the government. Look at Hillary Clinton, her aide, Huma Abedin. She's the wife of... Anthony Weiner. Uh, Anthony Weiner, his wife, was her mother was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Saleh Abedin is a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. And her daughter, Huma Abedin, works right in hand with Hillary Clinton. I did the research, and it's immense, the facts that I explain from translating from the Arabic language of the collaboration between the Muslim Brotherhood and the United States government. Well, so then from what you're telling me, and this is just my conclusion, just listening to your teaching, uh, they don't need the terrorism in the United States. They, they can actually work right through our government to accomplish what they want. Correct. The Muslim Brotherhood learns fairly quickly. They learn from the fiasco in Iran. The cyber rattling of Ahmed and Nijad isn't going to work. Terrorism isn't going to work. So what they realized, the long goal is to basically uh, come into the government and begin to talk about peaceful Islam. This is why it's the politically correct thing to say these days that Islam is what? A peaceful religion. Islam is a peace-loving religion. And by peace, they are deceiving many. Yeah, you know, every time I hear Islam is a peace-loving religion, I cringe because I know too much. I know about the Quran. Give me a couple of scriptures that tell me, would show anyone that it's not a peace-loving religion. 
Well, if you look at the verses in the Quran, you find even one verse that says, whoever kills a life kills the entire earth. By the way, this comes from Jewish tradition. So the Muslims will quote these verses as an alkaline to cover the acid reality. If you continue that verse, continue to the next verse after that, what does it say? But as for those who do mischief in the land, then crucify them, amputate their hand and feet from opposite ends. So they pick and choose their scriptures, is what you're saying. Absolutely. There is the acid reality, the truth, that is violence, and there is the alkaline, the peaceful verses. They focus on the peaceful verses to pull a ruse over the eyes of the West. Is, is it legitimate under the Quran to tell a lie? Worse than that. In fact, in Islam, they have something called how to be flexible. Muruna, the Arabic term is used. Muruna is how to be flexible in Islam. Muruna in Islam calls for what? For making legal the illegal in order to advance Islam. So in Islam, thou shalt not kill a Muslim. You can kill an Muslim, of course. This is part of the Islamic muruna. It's called stealth in Islam. So, so in effect, according to the Quran, a Muslim can tell a lie if it'll help their cause. Is that correct? Tell a lie as well. At-Tabari, one of the greatest scholars of Islam, said that, that you can lie to an unbeliever. You can basically smile to the unbeliever while you harbor inner animosity towards him. So you hate the unbeliever who is not Muslim, but you smile to his face. And so this is part of the stealth of Islam. And this is the part in the concepts that the West didn't focus on when it comes to the religion of Islam. Uh, one other real, real quick question, because I was amazed when you brought this fact out. I think of Islam as being very moral, say, against homosexuality. But you tell me the Quran approves of being a pedophile. Absolutely. In fact, there is something in the Quran called al-ghilmaniyat. This is an Arabic term, which means uh, having sex with boys. In Islam, they will, in the heaven of Islam, there is much pedophilia. Uh, in fact, most of the Arabic Islamic poetry talks about pedophilia. Oops, we're out of time. Everyone thinks the end times is going to be controlled by Rome and the Catholic Church. You interview nine out of ten Christians. They're going to say that. Uh, but you say, absolutely not. <laughs> what, what is God showing you from the scriptures? Well, if you look at the Bible and research Rome, Rome is mentioned about 16 times in the Bible. There isn't a single reference in the Bible where God destroys Rome, literally. However, when we look at Babylon in the Bible... Ah, but what, what about the thing about the hills which describes Rome? Well, in, that's, that's allegory. The book of Revelation is allegoric. Seven hills or seven mountains doesn't mean literally mountains. It means seven empires. There are also seven kings... Kings don't rule mountains, they rule empires, kingdoms. In fact, the Messiah, when he sets up his kingdom, it says in Daniel chapter 2, he will become a great mountain. Christ doesn't become a mountain, he becomes a kingdom. So once we understand what is meant by the allegory, we can understand there are seven kingdoms that arise in the end. 
when we look at Babylon in the Bible in Revelation 14 and 18, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Why does the West ignore the book of Isaiah? In Isaiah... Right, well, and that's what I find. Most of the end-time teachers use the last book, as you put it, of the Bible versus the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation to understand what God is saying. Why, why, why do we eliminate the, uh, uh, the Tanakh or the Old Testament? Well, it's the ignorance of hermeneutics. While we talk about hermeneutics, hermeneutics t- say that we must interpret the allegory based on the literal reference. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's in Isaiah 21 as well. And in Isaiah 21, it says what? The burden against Arabia, not Rome, Arabia, within the same context of Babylon, is fallen, is fallen. The Bible concentrates on Arabia even in Galatians 4, the war between the sons of Sarah and the sons of Hagar. Sarah in Jerusalem, Hagar in Sinai in Arabia. So Arabia is all over sprinkled in the literal references in the Bible. Messiah fights against Arabia. Habakkuk 3. Uh, Edom is Arabia. In Ezekiel 25, God says, I will stretch out my arm, the Messiah, against Edom. From Timan to Didan. Didan is Arabia. Most don't think of Didan. Don't understand what Duma is. They don't understand what these literal geographic references are. So they ignore it. What difference would it make to a Christian if they understood that Mystery Babylon is not Rome and not the Roman Empire, but uh, is Arabia? What difference would it make? Ah, that's a very good question. Because once we understand Arabia, we understand what stemmed out of Arabia. Where do Muslims bow to? They bow to the Black Stone in Saudi Arabia. The Black Stone is an image uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 35, do not worship Artemis and her image that fell from Zeus. What was that? That was an asteroid. What do the Muslims bow down to every day? To an asteroid in Arabia. So Arabia really is the essence of Babylon. That's why it's called Mystery Babylon. It's the essence of Babel itself. They're trying to make the whole world speak one language, one religion, one world government. You need to look no further than Islam today that wants to accomplish all these things. Now, you talk about the seven hills are not Rome, but then what are the seven hills? Well, there are the previous empires that were composed in the past. The, the empires that ruled the Middle East, that ruled over Jerusalem, what were they? The first one, Egypt. Then what? Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. Rome, Roman Empire, in this case, is not the West, but the East. And then the one comes after them, the seventh. What entity or what empire destroyed the Roman Empire? It was in Constantinople, Turkey, Muhammad II. The Islamic Empire became number seven. And if we look at the text very closely, this number seven also becomes the eighth. It will revive again. It has a fatal wound. The sick man of Europe. Who was the sick man of Europe? It was the Ottoman Turkish Islamic Empire that will rise in the end. I've been saying this for 20 years. So far, so good. Everything is happening exactly as we said. 
Okay, the Turkish Empire rises up. Who rises with them? Well, the one who rises with them is all the other entities. Egypt. Hello? Number one was Egypt. Medo-Persia uh, as well, number four. Uh, what, what, what? Medo-Persia, is that Iran? That's Iran. Persia is Iran. Okay, use the modern names for me. So who are the other nations that will rise up with them? Well, it will be Persia, it will be Libya, North Africa as well, because we have to look at the book of Revelation in chapter 13. It has the mouth of a lion, the body of a leopard, Grecian, not Western, Eastern, and the feet of the bear. The feet of the bear has always been Medo-Persia. Every scholar agrees. Medo-Persia is Iran. Iran with Turkey, Greece. When we look at the Bible, when we see Greece, that doesn't mean Cyprus or Athens. That means the ancient Grecian Empire, which was centered in Turkey. It was centered in that part of the world. The Eastern Roman, not the Western Roman. So what will these empires do in the last days? Well, they will uh, declare war. Who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? The Antichrist is interested in warfare. In Daniel chapter 11, he declares war on the most strongest of all fortresses. He will declare war on the West, on the United States of America. So they will rise to have a war with the West, with the Christian world, if you will, and with Israel. And they will come to Jerusalem. In fact, since we talk about the rapture in Christian circles, when we come down with the Messiah in Zechariah 14, what does it say? And all the saints with you. All the saints will be fighting over a battle over Jerusalem with the Islamic nations, and we will be victorious. Will the uh, let's go back to uh, the Antichrist? Who do you believe the Antichrist will be? He will come from Turkey. When we look at Ezekiel thirty-eight, but but most of the modern scholars say he's going to come from Europe. How is that possible? It is impossible. There is no reference in the Bible he comes from Europe. This is a misunderstanding of Daniel chapter 9. In chapter 9, because he you know, invaded uh, Israel, the Roman Empire invaded Israel, but it says the people of the prince in Daniel chapter 9, the people of the Antichrist are the ones who destroyed the temple. When we look at who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, who were they? It was Roman legions, correct. But it was what? It was Legion 10. What were they composed of? They were composed of Edomites, Turks, Syrians. And you don't have to go as far as looking at the historians. Josephus describes it, describes the whole thing, the whole fiasco. Our Middle Eastern people that destroyed the temple. And that basically answers Daniel chapter 9, once we understand that, in historic perspective. What do people say when they hear your teaching, totally, when they hear your complete teaching. For instance, we're offering six DVD series called End Times Today. Uh, what do they say when they get the whole teaching put together? They've been following the popular scenarios of the day, almost as if it's gospel. The Left Behind series, most people feel it's gospel. Y yes, it has a lot of ingredients from the scriptures, but I'm convinced of one thing, for sure. The whole order of events, as in the left-behind scenario, I'm convinced, for sure, 
it's wrong, the order of the events. What happens most of the time is that I meet Christians in churches that have presumptions, and they reject the idea that Islam is the system of the Antichrist. When I finish my lectures, I give usually four, five, six, even eight-hour series. I have a full conversion, always. I ask anyone who believes it's Rome, nobody. Everybody who believes it's Arabia and all the things I'm saying, everybody, including pastors. In fact, one pastor was a cousin of Hal Lindsey. He says, I can't have you teach this in my church. I'm the cousin of Hal Lindsey. So in the end, he allowed me to teach my series. In the end, he even was shubatized. He was shocked. He says, I no longer adhere to Hal Lindsey's teachings. It's impossible from the way you laid it out. From all the literal references in the Bible, it's impossible to think the modern perspective is correct. Now, you, you bring up points that I've never, ever heard before, and that is that the Antichrist is not going to take over the whole world. I've never heard that before. If we look at the Bible, we look at the whole earth, the reference to the whole earth, we find many references in the Bible regarding the whole earth. Example, Alexander, it says his wings will cover over all the earth. But Alexander and the Grecian Empire did not control the entire globe. It controlled his region. The four beasts that comes out of the earth, they come out of the Mediterranean, the Great Sea. The Great Sea has always been interpreted as the Mediterranean. And if we look at every single reference when it says the whole earth, it never meant the whole earth, because the misunderstanding comes from the language. Eretz, land, the whole land, not the whole globe. If it is the whole globe that the Antichrist controls, we must ask the question, how could we have ten horns? How could we have ten toes? Why is the composite of... Oh, I, I'm sorry. We're out of time. I want you to get this complete teaching series. It will totally change your paradigm for end times, and you need to. The sixth DVD series called End Times Today is available for a gift of $49. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. raised to hate the Jew, raised to kill the Jew. Why do you love the Jew today? Well, I love the Jews because, remember, in Genesis, the devil hates what produced the Messiah. He hates the woman. He also hates Israel. Israel is the nation that produced the Messiah and is why the Muslim world hates Israel so much. It is not because of land, but it is mostly because of ideology. Producing the Messiah was the enemy of Lucifer himself. And so Lucifer manufactures religions that hates the Jews. Lucifer manufactured Nazism, Islam, communism, and every ism you can think of on the earth. Well, let, let's talk about end times, because the thing that is so amazing to me is you won't find a book on a shelf of any bookstore that goes into such detail from a scholar that was raised as a Palestinian terrorist that is now a born-again Christian, and 
And God has really given you a gift to dig into scriptures. And most Christians, <laughs> if not, you said all, uh, that get your six DVD teaching series, their whole paradigm for end times is going to change. Uh, and it's so simple the way you present it because your source is the Bible. And so many Christians today, their source is a popular series of teaching uh, called Left Behind or Lake Great Planet Earth uh, because they're all the same. But your paradigm's completely different. Let's talk about the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? Well, what the book of Revelation chapter 13 says, the mark which is the name of the beast. While many Westerners think of a name as a literal name, from an Eastern perspective, we must understand this in context. A name in the Bible isn't a literal name as we have in English. A name in the Bible, let's say, okay, Jesus, the Messiah, he has names in the Bible. What are those names? His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. His name is not Emmanuel. He's not from Mexico. He's from Bethlehem. So Emmanuel, God with us, is what? It's a description. It's a creed. It's the definition, the title of who the Messiah is. In the same essence, the Antichrist and his system, the name of the beast is what? The character, the essence, the creed of the beast. It's a blasphemous creed. It's an entire creed that is etched on the the Greek word karagma, which means badge of servitude. They will have badges on them, written the blasphemous creed of Islam, and will be placed on the foreheads of Muslims. Anyone can look at Google and see how many Muslims are putting badges on their foreheads. That's it. Is that's what, 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 what badge? What, what does the badge look like? I haven't seen it. And what does it say? It's a cloth. It's a piece of cloth. Ah. Oh, like 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 say uh, the the uh, Palestinians put around. That is what? correct. And what are they putting around? Things of crescent moon, uh, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger, blasphemous creeds are posted on all the foreheads of every Muslim demonstrator. But but wait a second, where does the 666 come in? When we look at 666 in the book of Revelation, you have to understand that in the codexes, it is three Greek symbols, chi, zi, and stigma. Yet if we look at these cheese, z, and stigma in the Greek, they also read in the Arabic. In the Arabic, they spell out a statement, the statement that is posted on many Muslims when they put it on their forehead and their right arms. The Arabic statement of what the Greek cheese, z, and stigma stands for, Bismillah. Bismillah is in the name of Allah. In the name of Allah is something that is posted on the right arms and the foreheads of Muslims. If we take the movie, The Kingdom of Heaven, it is a recent movie, which talks about, shows the uh, Islamic hero, Saladin, Salahuddin, Saladin who fought the Crusades. Look very carefully what he has in his right arm. It is a badge, on it written, Bismillah. So this is something the Muslim world has already practiced in the past and will also practice in the future And this is what Islam teaches of why Muslims will enter heaven, by putting the badge on their foreheads and their arms. 
So this whole thing about a computer chip that that are in all the end time scenarios uh, that you can't buy or sell without it. Uh, uh, why why would you need this mark to buy or sell? Well, you need this mark to buy and sell because then you're not Muslim if you don't have the mark. Then you are persecuted. While many thought that karagma etching meant to etch something under the skin, and that is computer chip. But there's no allusion in the Bible to uh, a computer chip. There's no computer chips in the Bible. It is a statement of blasphemy. It is a blasphemous creed. In fact, the Bible teaches also that we will have a mark on our foreheads. So we will also be marked with what? The mark of God in our forehead. So in other words, it is the declaration of what we believe will be posted in our foreheads. Uh, Walid, I have been taught my whole walk in the Lord so many things about end times, and almost everything you're saying is changing my entire paradigm. Do you realize what you're doing to me? Well, I am sorry to bust the bubble of every Westerner, (laughs) but we have to look at the context of what the Bible is saying. And the Bible is focused on the name or the creed. Even the harlot, she has names of blasphemy. The harlot is the city where uh, the Muslim world basically uh, focus on. And it is the city that basically produces the religion of Islam. And that city is Arabia. And Arabia is all over the Bible. It's not that I manufactured this. It is literally mentioned in the Bible. Just look up the word Arabia in any search engine. Now, just out of curiosity, have you studied anything in scriptures having to do about with the oil in the end times? Absolutely. The judgment of the nations. Let's not forget, the Messiah judges all the nations in Joel chapter 3. And what does he say? You sold the children of Israel, basically, for what? The harlot, a harlot, and the boy for a harlot, and the girl for wine. What is this wine? This wine that the woman has in a cup, she drinks the blood of the saints while the nations are drunk of the wine of her fornication. This is the oil. In fact, the oil is literally destroyed in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 34. It talks about the oil. It shall become burning pitch. What is it talking about? Edom. Where is Edom? Ezekiel 25. The Messiah fights Edom from Timan, Yemen, to Didan. Didan is Saudi Arabia. It shall become burning pitch. It will burn day and night. Its fire will never be quenched forever and ever. How is it going to burn? How is the harlot going to burn unless this harlot has lots of wine, lots of oil, tremendous amount of oil, which deceived the nations? This is how Islam is basically fulfilling its message. Through what? The oil. Every time Americans pump oil in the car, they buy the oil from Saudi Arabia, and they sell their own doom. What about Iran, nuclear bombs? Uh, Do you see anything in Scripture as to whether they will nuke Israel, Israel will nuke them, Iran will nuke the U.S.? What do you see? In fact, Brother Sid, I've won every gentleman's bet when it comes to the country of Iran. While many predicted that Israel will attack Iran, I predicted otherwise. Why? If we focus on Isaiah 21, it says who destroys Arabia. Who destroys Arabia? Arise, O Media, arise, Iran, Persia, 
Persia destroys Arabia. What? So Iran destroys Arabia. Absolutely. Huh. Iran must get a nuclear weapon, must get some sort of weapon to basically destroy Arabia. The beast will destroy the harlot. The harlot is the holiest city for the entity of the Antichrist. And, and what, is, uh, what city is the harlot? Well, it would be Mecca in this case. Mecca is basically Saudi Arabia. Remember what John, the angel, took him where? To the wilderness, to the desert. He showed him a woman riding on a beast, and he told him, the woman was a city, a city in a desert, not Rome. It's in a desert. When you go to Isaiah 21, the burden against the desert of the sea, verse 1, right there. And you continue in the text in Isaiah 21, the burden against Arabia, spelled out Arabia for everyone to read, yet they ignore it. Well, I'll tell you what, Mishpocha, you absolutely cannot understand the end times if you interpret the Bible through a Western lens. You must recognize that Jerusalem is the center of the earth, not Europe, not America. It's changed my paradigm, and I have to tell you this, Waleed, it's so simple when you explain it from the Bible that you need help to be confused. <laughs> In fact, Brother said, if we read the Bible like a newspaper, we will get it. The Bible is a blessing and a curse. Wow. A curse? Absolutely. It's a curse if we read into the Bible what the Bible does not say. It is a blessing if we allow God to read his word to us just the way he says it. So, according to the Bible, what Muslim nations are going to be shortly destroyed? Well, in the Bible, it's very clear from Ezekiel chapter 28. In fact, in Ezekiel 28... The destruction is not only the Muslim world, but the Antichrist himself, and is destroyed. Who destroys him? The most powerful nations in the world will destroy him. People cannot... Okay, well, I've got to ask you who the most powerful nations in the world are going to be, but we're out of time. Now, Walid, on yesterday's broadcast, you talked about the, uh, uh, the group of Arab nations that the Antichrist is going to rule from, and you said uh, the major nations of the world will come against them. Uh, who will be the major nations that will come against this coalition? Well, just what the Bible says. In Micah 5, God says that he will raise seven shepherds and eight principled men. You know, I've always read that, and I've always wondered, what does that mean, seven shepherds? What does it mean, eight principled men? seven world leaders that will have good principles, just what it says. And how often have you examined the interpretation of those seven shepherds? You... Oh, well, the only one I see they were doing real good is the Prime Minister of uh, Canada. <laughs> but uh, who are they? Who are going to be these seven, not their names, but uh, what countries are they going to represent? Well, what the Bible tells us. In fact, most Westerners never focus on how the Antichrist is destroyed. The destruction of the Antichrist is very clearly described in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28, he is called the Prince of Tyre. And by the way, Tyre isn't in Europe. Tyre is in Lebanon. 
He rules Lebanon. He's called the Pharaoh of Egypt. He rules Egypt. Remember, he enters Egypt in Daniel chapter 11. And he's destroyed in Ezekiel 28 by these powerful nations. No one can escape verses 7 and 8 after reading them within context. It says, Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible, the most mightiest of the nations, military powerful nations. Daniel 11 tells us that the Antichrist, what? Declares war on the, what? Most powerful nations. He declares war on the strongest fort of, uh, uh, you know, military might. So it tells us the, the, basically the conclusion. In Ezekiel 28, he raises this nation, God does, and in verse 8, they shall throw you down into the pit. If we examine after the Antichrist is thrown into the pit, it tells us what other nations goes with him in the pit, and every one of them is Islamic. But who are the ones that are going to come against the Islamic nations? Well, the most powerful nations. Today they are the United States of America, Europe, the ships of Khatim. The ships of Khatim is the western coast of the Mediterranean. Italy, Spain, the United States, they're very powerful countries. And they come against him. We can't identify them each by name, but we can take a look at what's the most powerful country in the world. Okay, but then, okay, so we know who the seven shepherds are. Uh, Who are the eight principal men? Well, we don't know the names. We don't know who they are. There could be the eight principal men. Seven of them are also shepherds. But there's an eighth one that remains mysterious. We do not know everything in the Bible. But what we do know is that they will destroy the Assyrian in Micah 5. Micah 5 is not just about the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem, but it's the conquest of the Messiah leading these seven shepherds and these nations into battle against the Antichrist. And in Ezekiel 30, that's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day where the Messiah fights these nations. Who does he fight? In verse 5 of chapter 30. Sudan, Somalia, which is Kush, Libya, hello, the Arab Spring, Libya, Tunisia, all those regions, Lydia, Lydia is Turkey. In fact, the Messiah in Zechariah 9, he comes from Jerusalem going north. He doesn't go west to Europe. He goes north to who? To Greece. That is Ionia. We have to look at the Greek. Ionia is Turkey. That is it. It's the battle between the Turks and the Israelis in which the Messiah in the end will be triumphant and we all will be with him fighting the battle over Jerusalem. What about Gog and Magog and where does Russia come in and the whole Armageddon? Explain a little of that. Well, Russia is nowhere in the Bible. Gog is the... Ch- what, 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 what? I've always heard Gog and Magog were Russia. Well, Gog is the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Meshech and Tubal is not Moscow and Tobolsk. Meshech and Tubal is Mushki and Tabarani. Mushki and Tabarani are in Turkey. So if you look at every Bible... Everything is pointing to Turkey. It's amazing. And we don't even hear that much about Turkey. It's always Russia. Absolutely. And Iran. But Turkey is, is really going to be a major end-time player. Look at the Arab Spring. What is Tunisia, Egypt, Libya? What are they saying? They're saying we want the Turkish model of Islam. Turkey will bring peace to the world. 
Turkey is being ushered nowadays, even by the United States of America, as the peacemaker in the world. The Antichrist brings peace, supposedly, and he makes a peace covenant. Who is the one to make covenant with Israel? The Bible maps don't lie. The Bible maps are correct. Every single Bible map, whether the Macmillan Bible Atlas, the Moody Bible Atlas, the Encyclopedia of Bible Lands, the location of Meshach and Tubal, Magog, are all in Asia Minor and southern Russia, not Russia proper. What split from Russia? The Islamic nations, the CIS nations, the Commonwealth of Independent States of what? Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and also Turkey will unite with them, with the Middle East, with Persia as well, in a war effort against Israel. Well, why is the Battle of Gog and Magog also called Armageddon? Well, we, if you look at the text in the Ezekiel 38, the first mistake Westerners do is they attribute Ezekiel 38 as a battle before the Battle of Armageddon. However, people cannot escape verse 18. My fury will show in my face. Who's speaking here? God. God. Who's God's face? If his feet stands in the Mount of Olives, that's the Messiah, his face is the Messiah there too. Ezekiel 38 happens when the Messiah comes to fight the Antichrist. Gog is the Antichrist. In fact, in Revelation, after the thousand years are over, what happens? Satan is released. Gog and Magog. So Gog is Lucifer in the book of Revelation. If he is Lucifer in the book of Revelation, he must be Lucifer everywhere else in the Bible, including Isaiah 14 and including Ezekiel 28. In the next two minutes, give me a quick scenario of what's going to happen between today and the return of the Messiah in the order you see it in the Bible. Ah, that's a very good question. The first thing that's going to happen is the false peace, that Islam is a peaceful religion, that the Turkish model of Islam, the peaceful version of Islam, is what's going to basically take over the Middle East. So this basically will make the West not worry about Islam. This will usher in the Antichrist, the Mahdi of Islam, who will make a covenant with Israel for seven years. When Christians see this, begin to count. So we're going to see the Arab Spring turn into the Turkish model of Islam, in which will pull the Rus over the eyes of the West until the West wakes up in the end. So in the meanwhile, we will see this false peace in the Muslim world. Then there will be a war in Israel in which the nations of Ezekiel 30, 31, 32, read them, and how they basically have a war with Israel and how they will all fall into the pit with the Antichrist. For anyone who doubts, just look up the term, the pit, in the Bible. Do a search on the pit, and you will see that every single nation that goes into the pit are all Islamic, every single one of them. And just out of curiosity, uh, how quickly could this scenario take place, in your opinion? Well, look how quickly the scenario has taken place already. Look how quickly the whole world has changed before our very eyes. You can see the world changing. It's amazing. Correct. The idea of Islam is the what? Is the destruction of nationalism. Why? Because Babel wanted what? One world government, one world order. We will never have a one world government. It's impossible. 
Why? Because just as the rainbow was the promise that God will never flood the earth, God promised that the world will never be ruled by Lucifer. This is why in Babel, let us go down and confuse their tongue. The Muslim world wants one language, Arabic, one religion, Islam, one law, Sharia, and they want to destroy Israel. This Babylonian effort will fail in the end. When the Messiah comes, God will come down. This is why we see the Messiah all over in Ezekiel 38, in Ezekiel 28, all over the Bible fighting who? Muslim nation. Just out of curiosity, uh, you were born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, an Arab. Uh, Why don't you call yourself a Palestinian? Well, you see, the judgment of the nations, which is the Islamic nations that want to divide the land of Israel and create a Palestinian state, When I read the Bible, I saw how the Messiah himself judges the nations. Why? It's in Joel chapter 3. For they have scattered my people, they have also divided up my land. In Daniel chapter 11, who divides the land for gain? It is the Antichrist. So if the Antichrist wants to divide the land, he wants a Palestinian state. If I wanted a Palestinian state, which side am I on? the Messiah, or the Antichrist. So you're saying anyone on the side of a Palestinian state is on the Antichrist side? Absolutely. Is America in Bible prophecy? Well, when we look at the destruction of the Antichrist, the Antichrist is destroyed by what? By the mightiest of the nations, the most powerful. What the Bible says, the most terrible of the nations. Terrible in what? Terrible in battle. America has been the most strongest fortress. In fact, the Antichrist declares war on the strongest fortresses. Uh, But wait a second now. We're destroying our atomic bombs. We're cutting down our military. I think America's going in the opposite direction. But remember, Brother Sid, God is in control. He's in control of the destiny of Israel and the destiny of the United States of America, not President Obama. God has intervened when America wanted to say, well, no, for Israel. And if you remember, you know, uh, George Marshall, the state, uh, the representative of the United States, didn't want Israel. Yet the president said he had a dream. Where did that dream come from? God. God is in control. I'll tell you what, we're out of time. But you will have your entire paradigm and understanding illuminated like you've never had it before when you get a hold of this six-DVD series called End Times Today. I urge you to call or write today, available for a gift of $49. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural!, Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sidroth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina. 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime 1 800 447 2697. For all other calls, the number is 704 943 6500. That's 704 943 6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, 
send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.